Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Hi, all. Pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborne. And I'm Amanda Millick. And we are ecstatic to have you with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our new live and local show. Mr. Cameron Clutter is our barista. And today, our friends Matt Palmer and Todd Treon are joining us in the cafe to talk about friendship, mentorship, small groups, and all the opportunities that we have to walk with others to grow in holiness. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Start us with a prayer. <laughs> yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you that you've forgiven us life. Thank you for your graces and for your mercy. We ask that you pour into our hearts just a greater desire for you, a greater love for you, a greater knowledge of you. We bring ourselves before you, asking you to just lead us through this day, to help us to be present to each moment and to, pres and to be present to those that you put in front of us. Help us to love one another with true love, that, um, that true Christian love, with great charity, great humility, and with service. And we offer this to you through Jesus' name and through the arms of Mary. Amen. Amen. In the sight of the angels, I will sing your praises, Lord. Today, the church celebrates the feast of the archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, or Raphael. So we does that go with mean either. it's our, our patron day? It is. It's a big day in the cafe. Big day in the cafe. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in God's loving kindness, he has brought it together with National Coffee Day. Isn't that perfect? That's so perfect. We it is so good. Is that why we're celebrating today? Yes. Yes. And? In celebration, we've made peanut butter lattes. Tell us, Amanda, what exactly is this that are, is in our mugs? Okay, so... Okay. Peanut butter meets espresso. That's right. Okay. So we put milk and peanut, the powdered peanut butter and simple syrup, and then um, espresso. <laughs> My arbor, is shaking his head at me. What's up, Cam? Can you say the M word again? <laughs> milk? <laughs> Amanda's a milk person. Milk. Making -E fun of me for saying milk. No, I didn't okay. even notice. It's I okay. didn't even notice. It really is okay, but she's a milk person. <laughs> Matt and Todd, cheers. 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 Delicious. It okay, is delicious. Here we go. Amanda. First sip. Here we go. Nice job. I've already had a couple of sips. Oh, mm. that's pretty good. Is, is this a bad time to mention I have a slight intolerance to peanuts? No, I mean, in case we head into a really awkward moment later, then I, I think a disclaimer, a disclaimer or a warning might be in okay. order. I'll be honest. One of the reasons that I was excited to do this was because when I was a missionary, I was in um, Santa Cruz and I went to this little coffee shop and she had a peanut butter latte. I like to go to coffee shops and say, what's particular to you? And they said peanut butter latte. I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to try that. It was the most delicious thing I think I've ever had. Was it near? It the, was so creamy. Do you remember the name? I don't. 
It almost kind of looked retro. It had that like light teal color and pinks going on. Because I have a friend that has a coffee shop in Santa Cruz right hmm. off the boardwalk. You're kidding. It's not pink. I don't so. I don't think I was off a boardwalk. Okay. But theirs was actually so much creamier than this one, but I'm pretty content. I'm pretty content. <laughs> yeah, gentlemen. Good. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. We're good. We'll be caffeinated. Yeah. So good to have you with us this morning. Are you feeling the joy? I'm feeling the joy. Todd, are you feeling the joy? Absolutely. <laughs> it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. And yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation, and it ties in really, really nicely uh, with the gospel uh, today. The, the gospel is from John uh, chapter 1, verse 47. It's uh, Jesus and Nathaniel under the fig tree. And, but right prior to that is Philip's invitation to Nathaniel. And if I may read a few verses... Uh, Philip came from the same town, Bethsaida, as Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip replied, Come and see. And we're talking about invitation ministry uh, this morning. Matt, let's start with you. you uh, well, by way of introduction, Matt, you're from St. Catherine. I am. Yeah. Todd, you're from the Church of the Resurrection. Indeed. And you're both leaders in the Columbus Catholic Men's Ministry. We are. Yeah. So Blessed thank, to be doing that. Thank you for that. Matt, was there a time in your journey when somebody said, come and see? There was. I think um, I that, grew up. That's good. I'm glad. Or else <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Uh, yeah, I think I, I would think that all of us can has have a story that would include others I mean, because Christ often calls through others. Todd and I were chatting a little bit uh, before we came on air that, you know, the Lord makes himself present in various ways. Um, but this is a great reading for all of us to really center on and focus on because I think when I look back at my own life, um, it was really other Christian guys that were calling me to kind of step up to discipleship. I had grown, I grew up as an evangelical Protestant in the Methodist church, and um, I had given my life to Christ uh, as a high schooler. Mm -hmm. um, and when I really looked around, it was other men, uh, young men that were a little older than me, um, juniors and seniors that took freshmen and sophomores, us guys under their wings and really, um, showed us what it means to live the faith. And, um, so yeah, I think that, I think, I think for many of us, the call to discipleship includes, um, others loving us, encouraging us, inviting us to come and see, come and see the Lord, come and see what he's done in my life and what he can do in your life. How about you, Todd? Was there a come and see moment? <clears throat> Absolutely. But Mine took a slightly different path, um, and I'll go back to, I was raised in a small town the first quarter of my life until my teen years. Um, my parents and I, we went to church all the time. I was an altar server, but the teenage years led to college and me falling away from the Catholic Church. But the calling is through a friend of a friend um, over a decade later to meet an individual who became my future wife. 
And she was not only beautiful and smart, but a practicing Catholic. Mm -hmm. And in dating her, we started going to church together. And so that was a calling, come and see if you will, that Mm -hmm. led to many other callings along the way, because it didn't really happen overnight, but re-engaging with the church then led to, you know, another great calling from Father uh, or Monsignor Bill Maroon. And his calling was during Mass, when I'm sitting in the pew, and when I had some semblance of hair that you can't on the radio see, but he would find me like a heat-seeking missile during Mass, <laughs> put his hand on my head, and use me as a prop during his service. Oh, and he kind of knew that, you know, I was just kind of there on Sundays. But the next thing you know, um, he's invited me to be a lector on planting trees at the parish. He got my wife and I to start a Habitat for Humanity chapter out of their church and serve. And so that, that calling, you know, it's kind of a twofold because one often is a start and it's a journey. So you need to continually be called, which is why I bring in the second part of that story. Mm. I love that. Matt, when was it your bride that called you to the church? You know, um, I'm sure in some way she influenced me because, um, we married, uh, she had grown up Catholic cradle Catholic. Um, we were married at St. Joseph's cathedral. Um, it'll be 39 years, uh, in a few weeks from now. And I'm so blessed uh, to be her husband and to have journeyed through life with her. But she was very respectful of my, um, my Christian faith as a Protestant. And she didn't, she didn't push. She just kind of lived the life of a loving wife and mother. Um, so it was a, a time where uh, later in our late 30s, we were both feeling, I was particularly feeling disenchanted with um, where, some, where my denomination was headed in some directions around teaching and doctrine. And so we began to, um, she began to help me and we began to look for a new um, way to express our Christian faith and our love for the Lord. And um, she, she said, why don't we go to mass? Um, and this was in 1998. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, we had three daughters then, they were young. And I remember thinking, well, we'll go, but we're not gonna become Catholic. You know, um, we had, she had kind of gone with me and kind of we had become sort of Methodist, Protestant mm-hmm. um, in our tradition, in our worship. But we went to Mass that day, Dave, and um, Monsignor Sorahan, when I'd been to Mass many times with her family, uh, but when that day, when Monsignor raised the host, um, during the consecration of the host, uh, kind of spiritual scales fell from my eyes and I knew that I was looking at Jesus. And I don't know that I'd even known that the Catholic Church taught the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. But I had an, an, an understanding interiorly that that was the Lord. And so there's an example of a call that was so radically clear. I came out of that mass, you know, changed and uh, jumped into RCIA and, um, you know, came into the church the following Easter vigil. And I I'm just, you know, I look at that, I look at that time and I'm so grateful that God brought me into the fullness of the faith in the Catholic church. But there was a very clear call. Um, mm-hmm. And of course that began, you know, that began a new life, as Todd said, of, of callings. And I began to understand that mass is a calling and every sacrament is a calling. And, and then obviously moved into men's groups and that man is you and Catholic men's ministry. And, and I think, 
I think we can all understand that God calls us into communion, not just with him, but with his, the rest of his body. And I've certainly been blessed by that beyond all measure. Matt Palmer and Todd Trian are in the cafe with us. Matt, our stories are similar. I, I too was raised Methodist. Uh, I, however, pretty much stopped doing any sort of uh, church uh, during the college years and after afterwards, except I, I, I called my spirituality at, at that point, the church of Dave, um, you know, it was my own, my own spin on things. It was, it was a small church, um, <laughs> the church of one, <laughs> the one, yeah, just the church of Dave, but Carol was raised uh, Catholic and same thing. Um, she never pushed, pushed me hard to come into the church because we were both, I mean, we would go on Sundays most of the time, but it wasn't a priority for either of us at, at that point. It was her brother who was a priest who had the greatest influence, just spending time with me and, you know, in, in friendship and brother-in-laws and we would go see movies together and just spend time together. But his witness uh, and just our shared interest in in history, and as he started showing the deep richness of the Catholic faith over time, again, no, no pushing, but invitation just to have more conversations and to go a little bit deeper. And ultimately, it, it was the, and I couldn't pinpoint it, but I knew at the Mass the real presence was true. With, without any real catechesis. I don't remember a time when, when Father Phil really opened up what the Eucharist is. Mm. But, but there was an understanding. It, it, it's, you know, this is true, and we need to be here, and I need to be in communion with this. So I uh, came home one evening from work and said, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter RCIA. And pretty much floored Carol. I, I, I mean, she wasn't expecting it. Uh, and, and that began our journey together. Uh, and really, both of us discovering really the richness of the Catholic faith. And, and here we are today. Your brother-in-law was your Philip. You know, yeah. He would, yeah. Come and see. You're right. Right. What, I, what I'm hearing amidst all these stories, this is, is this word pursuit. Whether it was um, maybe a gentle kind of steady pursuit of a friend or a family member or the Lord, you know, just always there, but always inviting. And I think that's so true about, um, just ministry and that person to be the one to, um, call on others that you see who maybe need that little extra call, that extra pursuit. Who pursued you, Amanda? Oh, good question. Um, hmm. Well, so my mother was really the one who's like, okay, it's time to go to confirmation. And that's when I really started diving into my faith a little more. And I, I really loved what I was learning, but I wasn't really seeing it amongst my peers until I went to Franciscan. And I think it was the example of all the students there that really made me 
wonder, okay, well, what's going on here? And that's what I want. And so I started taking the opportunity for daily mass. And of course, my classes, philosophy and theology that I mean, just really, really opened up my my mind and my heart to learn more about our Lord. Mm, that's wonderful. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I think originally the word pursuit came to me, Todd, when you were sharing your stories, you were there in mass and you're just kind of doing your thing. But the way that the priest would put his hand on your head every once in a while, it just, <laughs> yeah, it, this gentle kind of pursuit of, okay, Little by little. <laughs> well, let me tell you, for anyone that knows him, they know that it was not gentle. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I take that back. I would move. <laughs> and I got to the point where, like, honey, let's sit someplace else this morning. Um, and he would find me. Is that and, why there's no hair up there now? And, he was, yeah. I think one of so the reasons, So it was reasons, a relentless yes. pursuit. Yeah. So you couldn't move far enough back. Exactly. Right? Yeah, right. And, and that must so, have been a head of hair uh, that he uh, found you. The, mm, yeah, <laughs> he knew my hot button, right? Because what was left was kind of, you know, waved across the top. But he worked it pretty good, and he worked me. And frankly, I needed that because, you know, as I mentioned, I was I was raised Catholic, and the first quarter of my life, um, I didn't miss a holy day of obligation. Mm-hmm. Went to first Friday masses with my mother. It was kind of a special time. But then teenage years hit, and everything went askew, and. You know, as you were talking about the Church of Dave, I didn't name it, but looking back, it was the me, mm-hmm. and yeah. it was all about me. Mm-hmm. And and so I, um, even though my wife and I had gotten married in the Catholic Church and we were going to church, I needed that additional pursuit, if you will, mm-hmm. that that calling. And um, it took a while for me to really see how I was being called back and what I was missing because. You know, another thing, Dave, you mentioned is, you know, that you have to. Well, maybe a different context. I went to church early in my life because I have to. Mm-hmm. Now it's because I want to. And yep. it's what we were just talking about with the Eucharist. Um, I just, I feel such a sense of closeness through that sacrament, also through prayer. And as we started this morning, reading scripture, um, I can barely open up scripture and as long as I'm in a quiet spot, I, I can hear God's voice speaking, as long as I listen, right, and keep after it. And, but there are those days sometimes where it doesn't happen, or you get sidetracked with work or the busyness of life or whatever, um, and that's where having someone else um, that shares your faith to help kind of call on you, call you out, so to speak, hold you accountable in some way, it just lifts you up. And that's the beautiful thing about uh, our Lord and how uh, and how he can work through others. Well, then it also makes me think of, <clears throat> yes, the importance of those, those holy friendships, but also my own need to be a pursuer of God, right? To be someone after his own heart. And so in those moments of reminding myself, okay, because I wouldn't look at one of my friendships and just watch it fall by the wayside as I get busy with life. Like I would I would try in some ways to maybe rekindle that friendship, right? And so I need to be a pursuer as well. And I think that's what I'm reminded of also. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that when, as we think about our pursuit of the Lord, um, I'm looking at the, the gospel um, for today and it says, before Philip called you, this is Jesus talking, I saw you, Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. 
our pursuit is really a response to his pursuit. That's right. Isn't yeah. It beautiful. Like <laughs> it's always a it response. Always, it always <laughs> starts with him, you know, and I'm, I just am so struck by, yes, Philip, Nathaniel had a role, but before Philip even called him, Jesus had seen him and he even names him. Here's a true child. You know, Jesus has, he gives us our identity and he helps us to see the greatness that we were born for, you know, the greatness of holiness. And he wants so much for us to live the life he made us for. And so this, for him, for us to, I think so many times we keep thinking that he doesn't see us, that we're trying to pursue him and we can't find him. Mm. And, but he's right there. Um, a lot of our work that Todd and I are privileged to do with Catholic Men's Ministry is to really serve men out in the parishes who are leading men's ministry programs. So a lot of our work is to help them see that God sees them, has called them, and that they can be an instrument to call other men to Christ. Um, and what a, you know, what a joy to kind of help all of us see that the, the Lord has called us, identified us, gives us a name that is holy, and then we get the privilege of helping him call other men to him. Well, I think for men especially, I mean, th these guys are showing up, right? I mean, to, to mass, you know, they're, they're, at least, they're, they're showing up. Where I've seen the challenges, especially with men's ministry, is getting right order. So the call of the, the world you know, vote, uh, our jobs, family pressures, Ohio state football. <laughs> I mean, there, there's so much coming at us, but where men's ministry has helped me and I see it helping a lot of guys around the diocese is to get the order right and, and let, and let the grace flow as the grace will flow. Has that been your experience? Yeah, for sure. And you know, Matt mentioned earlier, that man is you, and it was an invitation to get involved. But one of the things that I was lacking, um, really not one, there's actually a, quite a list. <laughs> My <laughs> wife could give you the full <laughs> verse on that. But um, formation, it, it was something that uh, I grew up in a small community. The, the formation was very light, and mm -hmm. it was through catechism on a Wednesday night if I went. Um, and so through that man as you early, it was, it was about the formation, but it was about listening to other men because I was very tentative and I had this pressure on me that I'm not good enough. These are the holy guys. What am I doing here? Um, but through the warm invitation and learning and hearing from others, oh my gosh, they've made a lot of the mistakes I've made. Now, I probably have made more, but I'm now warming up. And, and then you kind of learn how they've dealt with it. And we all have our brokenness. And so I think, you know, that's really part of what uh, Satan is up to, to keep us away. And as we talked earlier about, I think it was Matt that mentioned communion. This is a bit of a communion in the small group. Mm-hmm. And you begin to learn from each other and lift each other up. 
because we all have our points in this life, like the roller coaster where we're up, we're down, somebody's had something terrible at work happen, they've lost their job, or having a terrible time with their boss, or something at home or family, and and having this extra bit of communion and accountability with each other and a chance to talk and kind of shake you out of your you know, sidetrack um, is, is really helpful. And it, it really just inspires and kind of drives me to be there at six o'clock in the morning on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much of it is, is just making ourselves available to, to others, right? I mean, Matt, you've shared with me stories. Uh, uh, I remember you meeting with a young man in, in his brokenness and, and just making yourself available to be a friend, to be a mentor, to just somebody that would listen and, and just to walk with this guy. I think you're right, Dave. I think this role of accompanying, um, is what all of us as believers, as Catholics, um, need to be doing men, women, um, Today's readings are so powerful for this conversation. Um, Todd just mentioned kind of the role of Satan. So I, I do think that men and women, but again, in the context of some of the ministry work that Todd and I are privileged to do, we, don't, we see men that are poorly formed in the faith. And, and then that opens them up to, um, you know, the first reading here. The first reading was from Daniel, excuse me, from Revelation, where um, Satan is thrown down to the earth and his um, other angels with him. And he wreaks havoc. And when you take a poorly formed person and you put them into a culture in which Satan is constantly um, lying and deceiving and, and, you know, for men, I think the message is um, seek comfort, you know, seek, seek pleasure, seek power, seek prestige. Um, Don't die to yourself, live for yourself. Um, So the whole identity of, of, of man, of men, is challenged and distorted in the culture. And without formation, we're just open to the attack. So I think this Christian fellowship of men and the formation that we can do in small groups, for those of you that don't know, That Man Is You is the name of a ministry. It's a national Catholic men's ministry that has groups in many, many parishes all over the country where you guys just get together and meet once a, once a week. So it's a, it's a powerful antidote to what Satan is speaking into our ear. Mm. Matt Palmer and Todd Trion in the cafe with us, and we're talking about friendship and small groups and opportunities that the Lord gives us to accompany others. I'm I'm looking back over my life, and it's really distraction and coming back around to having things in the right order. I look at the countless hours, and, and Matt, I know as a financial planner, the the time that you had to put into um, formation around your career and, and all the training and continuing ed and taking tests is the same way with me. I mean, just countless, countless hours on professional development. And for so many of us, that never really changes until we make the Lord a priority, get things in that right order. And there, there's room for both. I mean, obviously, we have to be developed professionally. We have to um, marriage prep and marriage communication and everything that goes into leading a family. 
but it has to come out of that relationship with Christ first. Mm -hmm. As I mean, you know what I'm talking about, Matt, especially with career. Yeah, I think, um, I think a lot of us men and women, but again, thinking uh, as a man, you know, Todd and I have a chance to just be in communion with lots of men and we've put our ladders up on the wrong wall. Mm, That's a good description. Um, Yeah. And we've climbed up, you know, some of us have been blessed to get, you know, relatively far far up on a ladder of our own profession. Todd had a a successful career with Cardinal Health. And as you mentioned, I've been a financial planner. And, but at some point we realize that we, it's the wrong ladder and there's nothing really up there. And so the Lord is so gracious in this calling that Todd mentioned that continues. It's such a blessing. And we're trying, our ministry is trying to, you know, trying to go down into younger men so that they can learn earlier that this ladder that so many of us put up goes nowhere in terms of deep peace and fulfillment. And how do we help other men, our age, younger, to, to have a rightly ordered life? Um, that's a, that's a, that's what, that's what Philip is doing with Nathaniel. Let's, let me help you order your life to Christ. Let me point you to Christ. So Matt, it sounds like you're talking about the, the corporate ladder versus the ladder to um, relationship with our Lord. Uh, well, I guess how, what was that realization like for you? Like what was the tipping point in which you saw I'm on the wrong ladder? And then how did you take that journey to getting to the right ladder? Well, yeah, I think we all could, could talk about those points. I think for me, it kind of began in my 30s and 40s where I was pushing very hard. And as a res- we, were having, we had young children. And as a result, I was beginning to, to experience depression, anxiety. I was dealing with mental health issues as a father and a husband and a worker. So emotional pain is a great um, uh, the Lord uses it uh, to, to, for us to, to reach out in great need. I also at that time was looking back at some of the more sinful chapters of my life uh, in my late teens and, and early 20s. And I was realizing it was kind of part of my early journey into the church here in my mid-30s. I came in at four, uh, 41. But in this time of depression, anxiety, part of it was guilt and shame. And I think Satan was, you know, having been hurled to the earth, as the scripture says, Mm -hmm. he was working on me and um, he was heaping a lot of that old shame for that old sin. And I was, I was just struggling to be free of those memories and that regret and that guilt. And then adding to that was the, the wrong ladder that I'm climbing and efforting to go up. And all of it was kind of collapsing in on me um, and I needed that was the tipping point. That's where I realized I'm on a, I'm on a bad ladder. Well, and coming to the realization at some point in your life, right. And for a lot of people, for a lot of people, it happens in their forties. You have to push that old ladder away from the wall or else you're going to keep on going back to the, you know, climbing the wrong ladder over and over again. And you reach that decision point. This ladder's not going to be up against the wall anymore. I'm not going to go back. Well, and I think we should make the distinction that um, work is a good, right? And it's so beautiful that 
men throw themselves into providing for their family. But the, and I would say though, the danger is when we make it our identity. Would you agree with that? I would. It's like you're speaking to me because <clears throat> there is goodness in work. The problem in my particular situation was I kept trying to climb that ladder. And, and while I was providing for my family, I was putting in so many hours and I was sacrificing my own ego or trying to fill up my own ego to show that I was good enough. Mm. And, and what it, what it led to is exhausting work weeks that run into Saturdays when I would uh, get home and I'd drive across 270 to get from Dublin to Kahana. And I wasn't fully de decompressed by the time I got home. So mm -hmm. I wasn't present to my wife and children and lots of travel. And, you know, some of us, unfortunately, are, are slow learners. So I just kept going back up that ladder, going up, going up, going up. And then finally, I just, a couple things happened. And, and one of which was, gosh, I achieved pretty much all of the worldly goals that I had set out. Wife, two beautiful children, successful career, house, cars, but I'm miserable. Mm. <laughs> I'm just absolutely miserable. And it was eating me up on the inside out. And so again, it took me a while to figure it out. And there were multiple invitations, but back to there was goodness to work, but I was consumed by it. Mm -hmm. And and it was coming to that realization that began to change my heart, change my practices, even at work, making time. Because part of the calling then that happened was when our children were at St. Matthew's, uh, you need coaches. So, hey, okay, I'll do it. And and then it leads to more coaching and other volunteer opportunities and some nonprofit work and, and those things in serving instead of my own ego edging God out. I'm starting to feel like, all right, God's really working on this old lump of clay and reshaping it. And so the more I served others, the less I thought of myself. Mm. Um, and again, it took a while, different than the latter analogy, but then mm -hmm. that, that kind of made me think of it in a whole new perspective. Yeah, when I, when I talk about pushing the ladder away, I, I'm talking more about sinful behavior mm. or bad relationships or, yeah, really sin, sinful um, sure, behavior yeah. that it's especially when you have a conversion later in life, you've, you've developed habits and things that aren't healthy. And with the pressures of job, I mean, it, be, it could become outside, you know, extramarital relationships. It could be pornography. It could be self-medication. Um, those are all the things that I'm talking about pushing away and not returning, re returning to. Um, yeah, I think that's true. And I think that the temptation is to, for men and women, but I'm again thinking about um, as men, the temptation is to isolate. The temptation is to um, to go more into yourself and mm -hmm. into you know self-actualization. And um, I think when we are alone and cut off, and of course Satan loves to divide, he loves to separate, and he loves to isolate. And that's where all of this, that's where that, that sinful behavior can be can, can arise in us because we're, we're cut off from the, our head, which is Christ, the head of the mystical body. We're cut off from the rest of the body because we've allowed these other things to so crowd us, um, that we can't hear his voice. Um, 
and, and we've lost, kind of lost our way. And the only voice we hear is the voice of the culture, which behind that is the voice of Satan, tempting, mm-hmm. isolating. Yeah. Matt Palmer, Todd Trion in the St. Gabriel Cafe. I think we're going to refill our mugs. When I come back, I want to talk about the culture and isolation because I think for all generations right now, that, that isolation and a false idea of relationship and friendship is, is prevalent. We'll be right back. Let us pray together the Golden Arrow Prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most incomprehensible and ineffable name of God be forever praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and under the earth by all the creatures of God, and by the most sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of humility is seen in St. Bernadette Subaru. She lived humility heroically by never seeking fame or recognition, despite having received visions of Our Lady at Lourdes. She knew being chosen to see Mary was a gift given to her, one she did not deserve. To avoid drawing attention to herself and away from God, she chose to enter the convent to pursue a life of hiddenness and humility. Let us ask St. Bernadette Subaru to pray for us, that we too may grow in humility. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. Hi friends, you're in the St. Gabriel Cafe. And I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn, and we're with Matt Palmer and Todd Trion talking about friendship, small groups, mentorship, and all the way that the Lord has blessed us and our church uh, for opportunities to grow with others uh, in holiness. I was looking at the bottom of my mug, Amanda, and and there's just (laughs) such a nice little layer of sugar. And creamy goodness. So, unfortunately, I don't have a spoon here in the cafe. Some peanut butter in the bottom there. (laughs) After the show. After the show. So, uh, before before we took the break, we were talking uh, or brought up the uh, the pull of the culture, and how the idea of relationship and friendship has been twisted uh, into virtual relationships and virtual friendships and putting a number count, you know, I have X number of followers or X number of friends and what a weak, uh, superficial, um, reality that is, but that that's where so much, so many of us are. I mean, I I don't want to say, you know, it's, it's a, a millennial problem (laughs) or, you know, uh, uh, you know, problem with the kids today, you know, so, so many of us are caught up in, 
in this, especially coming out of the pandemic when we were forced into isolation and not able to to be with others. Um, and I've seen that carry over. What, what experience do you guys have? Yeah, much of the same. And it's uh, the other thing I've noticed is the kind of division that happens with the identity that one might have towards the culture or a political version. And it's such that with the isolation that's transpired, then my identity gets wrapped up in my political belief. And therefore, if you believe something differently than Mm. what I believe, I can't be friends with you anymore. Mm. And it seems like that is rising fast. Absolutely. And and it, it, it's what it precludes then is the ability to have open and honest dialogue. Cause I think people will hold back if they want to maintain some sense of friendship there or some sick, avoid the social awkwardness that would happen. But then that further drives people into isolation because now it's, it's the voice in their head more that they're listening to and, and not really conversing. And also the most important part of all, probably listening mm. uh, to others and sharing, right? Well, uh, there's a, I think the term that they use is, is tribalism. So you create these tribes of like-minded people. So you're only involved in actual conversation and relationship with people that think the same way and, and how dangerous that is. You think about the early church and um, where, the, where Christ sent the apostles out. And we know uh, through history and tradition that they all went to different cultures, different countries, and many of them died and were martyred in these totally different lands, all in different places. So the real Christian life is not tribalism kind of all together. All, we, we, Jesus calls us apart, calls us to, to come apart with him and to be with him. But as the word mass, misa, mission, we, we're sent out. So it's this coming together, but it's also being sent out into the world. And mm-hmm. I think you're right, Dave, when we, when we stay in our own little tribes, we're missing the opportunity to invite and to call and to be Phillips for others. And that call has to start with just friendship. That call has to start with just somebody knowing that I love them, regardless of what they think or believe or politics. Do I show someone the way Christ showed every sinner that he encountered, I love you. It doesn't matter what you think or believe or are doing right now. I want something more for you, but I love you just as you are. I just mm-hmm. don't, I just love you so much. I don't want to leave you that way. In Christ, right? And, and that's where we mistake unity, right? I, we're united in Christ. That's our identity with uniformity, where it is only with certain sorts of people. Or, and, and I think that's created division and a kind of a, a even more silos in, in our lives where we have to keep this group of people away from this group of people, even in our, you know, I can't have my friends that think like this ever meet these friends over here who think a little bit differently because if we come together, oh my gosh, it's going to be an epic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what's the remedy? What do we do about it? Uh, I think we act. And, and so, you know, Dave, as you were talking about the division of the two groups, it just made me think of a, an example in a situation. I was uh, privileged to be invited 
to serve on the board at Lutheran Social Services. Mm-hmm. And I still serve there today. And uh, But I had a friend who was part of a small group, and I was talking about a meeting. I'm like, I can't make it. i got these other things going on. And I explained what I was doing. And he's like, well, why would you do that? Well, because they feed the hungry and serve the poor and what we're all called to do. And and it was to the mixing of, what, you're Catholic, why would you do that? And it even came up in my interview with them as I sat down and thinking mm-hmm. about serving. I'm like, well, you all need to know I'm a practicing Catholic. And it's like, well, yeah, we're an ecumenical organization. So I, I think, Dave, coming back to it, it's like there are so many things that are in common mm-hmm. between the Catholic Church and this ministry why don't we focus on those things where we can do good for the society at mm-hmm. large and, and to meet the basic needs of, of people that just struggle out there? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that example, I think, carries into everything. And instead of looking for those differences and magnifying them, which is often what happens in the media, right? And I'm trying to um, get off of the news uh, on the TV, but then you read the news feeds and all these articles, you begin to see that they're, they're set up to divide, mm-hmm. to, to get your emotion. And the, most, uh, the quickest emotion is the anger and, and to magnify those differences where, gosh, there are so many things that we have in common. If we can at least look to that, we might not be unified in absolutely everything but going back to an earlier point um, on love, if, if you can start with love, which is willing the good of the other, then you can begin to listen, develop friendships, develop understanding, seek some common ground, and then, and then get out of your own isolation and have an impact. You know, the Lord uh, has given us, the church has given us in the history of the church and in the saints, we have so many ways that we can begin to respond to this issue. Um, I think about um, St. Ignatius of Loyola and um, the nightly examination. I think about the morning offering and um, the disciplines, I think, to begin to counteract isolation and what the culture is speaking, what Satan through the culture is speaking into our ears as men and women of faith is to make sure that we are beginning, um, as Todd said, to act. And act means to, to begin a more robust prayer life in the morning, to, to make a true offering of our life. And then to be more aware through the day of um, where are the opportunities that I can be Christ for someone else. Lord, give me people today that that every encounter, may I see it as an opportunity to see you in them, right? suffering in them, um, and for them to be able to see you in me, in the way I listen, in the way I speak, in the way I love with without judgment, um, as, as Todd said, to will the good, the true good of that other. So, I, you know, I think it starts with, as it always does, with our relationship with Christ in prayer, to end the day looking back and to, to be intentional about living, to have a plan of life. We have so many great saints, St. Saint Jose Maria Scriva and others that have lifted up a plan of life. And I think one of the things we try to do in our ministry with men is to encourage that kind of formation. We talk about three pillars of, of 
build, build a relationship with Christ, keep building it, keep maintaining it, you know, form ourselves more deeply in the saints, in blessed mother, in the sacred heart, and then go out and live the faith each day in the smallest little ways. That's the way the church has always pointed us to holiness and to, to peace and to being able to be instruments of God's grace and love and mercy. And, and, and the, it's so easy for us to overcomplicate that, you know, when, when it comes to invitations. Jim Mahalm, good friend of all of ours, uh, always just talked about uh, the taps, you know, that, that uh, um, conversation. Just uh, you know, have, have a talk with somebody, have a, a conversation, and then, you know, tap them, you know, tap them on the shoulder and say, you know, come and see, come and, you know, trust me on this. We're friends. I want to spend more time, you know, with you. And I think you'd love to spend time with these guys and, and, and you know, not to oversell it, not to say, you know, spend six months with us and, you know, you'll get your halo or, you know, or something like that. It's just, we have a good time together and we're all pursuing Christ. Yeah, I love it. I also think there's there's another important element in there about meeting people where they are. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes uh, I've heard it referred to as a high-octane or low-octane event. And um, for the low-octane, it's just social. Just hang out. Spend time. Waste time together. Yeah. Have a beer. Um, have a coffee. But then there are other times where it might be, you know, more related to formation, like a that man as you group. But but that's one of the things that we talk about in, in our ministry is, yes, we need to invite people, but sometimes we've made that invitation over and over and over, and they're not coming. Well, don't give up, but just find some other way. And and that's where uh, I think, Amanda, you were talking earlier about uh, pursuing the ongoing nurturing of friendships and not letting them slip away. And that's where we all have opportunities. I know I have plenty where, um, who are those people in our lives, friends, neighbors, otherwise, that, that we need to spend a little more time figuring out how do we pursue an invitation to a deeper friendship or in some way to just kind of help grow in closeness, right? I love that. I think, you know, you think about Jesus, um, Zacchaeus, uh, I want to go to your house tonight. Mm. Um, Matthew, I want to go into your pub or tavern and hang out with you and your other tax collectors. So Todd's right. Sometimes we, we keep inviting onto our turf and Jesus really just went onto everybody else's turf. That's a great insight. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the, uh, you know, so I think uh, it's an insight I'm sure for, for us too, thinking about our ministry is, you know, we run some great conferences and we encourage men to, to, to push into Timmy groups in their parish and Knights councils. And, and, and that, that's wonderful. But I think we also need to be helping and teaching each other. Um, they're not always going to come to the church on Saturday mornings at seven o'clock for a Timmy meeting. We can keep inviting and inviting and inviting, but maybe we just say, um, where do you hang, you know, when, when, what's a favorite pub of yours or bar? Let's go have a beer sometime. Mm-hmm. You might get a lot better response from somebody with that kind of invitation to go onto their turf. Well, Todd, you had mentioned uh, Habitat for Humanity earlier. Men love to do projects together. I know at Church of Resurrection, there's quite a bit of this, just serving people in need, older parishioners, maybe not anyone connected to the church, but the guys come together to, to help others. 
and men respond really well to that type of activity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, in our final 10 minutes or so, let's talk about, uh, men's ministry, how, what are some of those opportunities to come together? How can you open it up to, to more men? How do you approach them? And it kind of, what are, what are the steps? What are the different activities and the, and the steps that guys can do to get involved? Sure. And I think it's, I like what, what Todd said. There's kind of lower entry, low octane events that are not, they might, they're going to be more comfortable for guys that maybe are, are a little bit away from the church or a little bit tentative about going deeper with Christ. So I think, you know, there's a range of ways that we as men and our ministry is trying to really be a coach to men in the parishes that want to see, uh, want to be a Philip and want others to be Philips and want to find the Nathaniels in their church. So again, a lot of times we just encourage guys to work with their pastor and plan a, how about a bourbon and cigars a night watching a high state game? Mm-hmm. Um, how about a softball game? You know, how about just some doing some things that allow for fellowship where we're putting people on their own turf, comfortable, um, but we also then obviously there's other men that are ready to go deeper They're, They know of their brokenness and they, they are reaching out. So again, we try to encourage men. We have what we call parish captains, guys that are, have a heart for men's ministry in their own parish. Our ministry is here to serve them. We do some, what we call mini conferences that were now added in addition to the big conference. And these come around topics. And we just did one with father Sizemore and Brad Piron and, they were wonderful. We had 250 guys come that tended to be the leaders in their parishes, but they heard about, you know, the, how's the Holy Spirit calling them, how to be formed more deeply in Christ and how to be um, attractive as a guy, that, as a Philip. So I think it's all the different ways that we can encourage men, as we say again, to encounter Christ, to form ourselves more deeply. Um, the Blessed Mother and um, Sacred Heart Enthronement, these are particular devotions to Our Lady through the Rosary. We have a monthly online Rosary Zoom room that we pray the Rosary together as men from all over the diocese. We encourage um, men to enthrone their homes. Bring Christ into your home. Be a leader because the culture tells you to just step back and um, just let let children go the directions that they feel led. And so how do we just encourage us to be the leaders? And it's through formation it's through encountering Christ, and it's through going out and living this faith. And our job as a ministry is to really encourage men, bring them together. They can share their journeys, their struggles to be Phillips, um, and we can together um, form ourselves and go more deeply into relationships with one another. Mm. Hey, Cam, turn on your mic. Millennial. <laughs> no, are you are you a millennial? I think you're Gen Z, aren't you? Gen Z, technically. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I'm the, the millennial. Okay. <laughs> We're old. Um, what do we need to do to get more young guys involved um, to sh- to show up to help us to learn, you know, from from you? Because you 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 have a lot to share. Yeah, I'd say that the invitation is really powerful Um, and and that we were talking a lot about like that wasting time, Matt. I know you brought up 
you know, having guys over for like a bourbon and a cigar and watch the Ohio State game. I was nodding my head vigorously over here. I was like, that sounds fun. I'd do that, you know. And so and so having those moments and um, and inviting those guys to invite their guys too. Um, there's a lot of small pockets of uh, brotherhood um, among younger guys, but I think it's really easy for Satan to isolate guys who are my age who who might be new dads or, or newlyweds, and so they're just kind of figuring out life for the first time, and in that figuring out life for the first time, they get caught up in that career, or they get caught up in, oh, I'm stuck at home, and my wife and I actually have just been like talking in the last week or two recently about how we both just need to like, yes, we prioritize our relationship and our family, but we also need to prioritize that like I need brotherhood and I'm not going to be a good father or a good husband if I don't have brotherhood and she's not going to be a good wife or a good mother if she doesn't have sisterhood in that way. And so I think um, first that invitation and, and not just like to one guy because because the last thing a guy Gen Z my age who wants to show up to a group of a whole bunch of guys who are, you know, 30, 40, 50 years older than me and stuff like that. But um, getting a group of guys there. And, and I think that starts with, you know, finding finding guys and challenging guys to be passionate, you know, and to be leaders in their small, you know, groups at their age. So guys like me be a leader for the 25 year olds, you know, I, I think that's huge. Yeah, great insight. Well, I think we also need to overcome sometimes the um, the perception of wisdom because we're older. Mm. <laughs> you know, we have a lot to learn from yeah. from you guys as well, and that that is just not a a generational top down type of a. Yeah, I think approach. recognizing that it's it's brotherhood. You know, it's not fatherhood. I had a dad. In fact, I, I had a dad and a stepdad. You know, I, I've had plenty of fatherhood in my life. Um, but being brothered, older brothered, younger brothered, um, there's a level of being able to learn something from a brother in that way and recognizing that it's not this I'm dragging you along or pulling you with me. But it's like you said earlier, Matt, it's that accompaniment, that walking shoulder to shoulder, side mm -hmm. by side yeah. together. I, I had a similar experience in college where an older family just kind of invited me in and I just felt so loved by their friendship. Like I didn't feel like they were parenting me, although they are very parental, um, but I, I, there was an openness there because they saw me almost as a friend. So, hmm. Matt, we have yeah. uh, just about two minutes left. Yeah, we, we're... Um we had a leadership team uh, meeting yesterday for um, for our ministry, and um, we have a guy on the leadership team, Joe Urquhart, and Joe has a particular call, uh, an older guy like Todd and me, he has a particular call to extend our ministry's outreach to younger men, Cam's age and other younger men. And one of the ideas, it's a pretty simple idea, is what if we just begin to organize a couple times a year, a place, a venue, Ohio State, um, Damascus, where older guys and younger guys come together. As brothers. As brothers. Amen. Eat some pizza, drink some beer, um, and begin to share and talk. Because you're right, we can learn so much. I see the zeal of some of the young missionaries at Damascus, um, SPO. And, but I also see that we uh, older guys have made some mistakes and, and we've learned some things. Maybe So that mutual sharing. We walk together. 
we walk together. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. 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 Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Todd.